Welcome to Showing Our True Colors, where we tap into our vulnerability, embrace our multidimensionality, and honor showing up just as we are. Here, it's just us, a little universe of our own. Welcome back to another episode of Showing Our True Colors. I hope you are resting and taking care of yourself and staying close to your community. I feel like we all really need this deep collective breath. So if you feel called to join in, So I'm keeping it real simple today. I'm drinking ginger tea, little bit of honey. And if you don't already know, ginger is that girl. One word and one word only. Anti-inflammatory. If you don't know her, get to know her. Today we are going to explore the orange edition. We are going to touch on our creative inner child, navigating friendships, creative frustration, and the flowers of rejection. So I wanted to say a couple things before we move into our topic today. Thank you so, 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 so much. If you tuned into last episode, I really appreciate y'all. I appreciate your patience, your kind words. It's just as much as an internal process for me as it is an external. So I really hope you were able to enjoy it and yeah, just apply some new things. And on that last note of last episode, perfection is absolutely exhausting. Whew. For all my recovering perfectionists out there who might be rolling in the ruins of your own self-created ideals of perfectionism, you can take it off. You can take it off like a jacket when you walk in the door. You don't have to carry all that weight and it doesn't have to be this hard. And that's really just a message from me to me in last episode, this episode, and all the episodes coming forth. Um, And I think that's what I enjoy about spaces like this. It's not really a matter of being right or wrong or having all the answers, but more so that like all of us are artists sharing what we've learned. Imagine all of us in this expedition in the jungle together and we spend our days exploring and gathering and then at the end of the day we all huddle up around in our little explorer tent and we pull out these big colorful maps on the table and we're like look look at this look what I found and we all share ideas and insights so we're able to take a slice of that map and put it in our pocket. We've never been these problems that need fixing, you know, or something's wrong with me. It's really just our desire to grow and evolve our souls. And I believe that's why we're here. To me, it kind of reminds me how, you know, there's a lot of stigma around therapy. Like you only go to therapy when something's wrong or when you can no longer take it or your mental health is depleted, like you're running on empty. The thing is, I see therapy as as normal as going to a doctor's appointment. Going frequently and often is healthy, not because anything is wrong, 
but you care so much about your internal health and therapy can provide you with the tools to navigate your daily life. And therapy can look different for everyone. There's, you know, many varieties. There's talk therapy, Reiki, plant medicine, a spiritual practitioner. But at the core of all of it is really just the desire to truly know, love, and heal ourselves so we can give ourselves a chance to be our healthiest selves. I made up this great analogy for it. So I'm the type of person where I really can work from anywhere. On the floor, in a cafe, in the car, it really don't matter, I'll make it work. Um, and my partner had been telling me for a while that I should get a desk and I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> you know when someone's trying to tell you something and you're like, yeah, 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 but inside your head you're like, nope, I'm not doing that. Um, my stubbornness kind of cracks me up sometimes. Anyway, he kept telling me how productive I would be with the desk and just like setting your workspace. And eventually, like nine months later, I caved and I said, okay, fine. We're going to get a desk. We're going to see what it does. I'll get this desk. And I love and hate to say that he was completely right. My productivity skyrocketed. So when I would sit at my desk, you know, just sitting in a regular chair, doing my work, living my life. Um, what I started to notice was that like two of the legs on the chair started like to inward collapse towards each other and my butt would go numb. My butt would go numb from time to time and um, there would be this really loud creak every time I sat down and every time I got up. But it was it was still functional, ladies and gentlemen. The chair still worked. So what was I doing? I was sitting in it. Um, and one day my partner saw me <laughs> struggling in the chair and was like, do you need another chair? And I was like, nah, I'm good. At this point, I'm pretty sure I was sitting slanted, but I was like, the chair is fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. So later, later that day, he brought in a new chair to the room. And when I tell y'all, when I sat in that new chair my butt felt like it was sitting in a pile of clouds. And it's not that the chair was so much more comfortable, but I did not realize how uncomfortable the old chair was until I could compare and contrast it with the new chair. And I'm not saying that, you know, the analogy is that we are these broken chairs that need to be fixed, but what I'm saying is that we don't realize how much new tools and getting help can benefit our life until we're in that new place and we can reflect on maybe how we've handled things in the past. You don't realize how much you need the tools and help until you actually get them. Have you ever heard, you know, when someone tells you something, you're like, oh, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. And then when something happens in your life that directly correlates to what they were saying and you're like, okay, wow, yeah, I really get what you're saying now. Like I full body understand this. It's not just words. I can now relate to the experience. And sometimes um, the ones who don't think they need it might need it the most. We just don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we've never really stepped into that forest of the unknown about ourselves. And of course, things like, therapy, things like healing and wellness is something that we all deserve access to. So if you have the means, if you have the resources, maybe this is a message for you 
to inspire you to take care of yourself in a greater depth. And that's really all it comes down to. Greater care, uh, emotionally checking in with ourselves, and continuing to learn about the universe inside of us. So, yeah, if you can do that for yourself, I, I really do think it impacts every area of our life and it really starts with us. Little mini rant done. That was literally just the intro. I just had to get that off my chest. I needed to share that with y'all. Um, so we're actually going to get into our inner creative child first. Something that I've been asking myself lately is how much space and time do I make for play? And how often do I do things in the essence of play? In what ways do I connect to my inner child? One of the ways that feels most natural to me is connecting with nature, sitting with trees, talking to birds and flowers, and noticing the subtle changes with each season. I see my inner child show up through arts and crafts and bright colors and dancing, journaling, playing The Sims, activities like doing cartwheels in open fields and not ever really thinking about time, just being fully immersed in the moment. When it comes to my inner child, I think about taking care of her in two different ways, externally and internally. So externally, I make time to color my coloring book, experiment with fashion, hobbies, smells, music, and foods that remind me of childhood. You know, maybe getting those pair of roller skates and feeding those external desires for play. And then when it comes to internally, it's all about constructing those inner parts of safety. So, okay, yes, we're going to do the coloring books. We're going to play The Sims. We're going to do all the things that remind us of what it is to be a kid, to dance and to play and not care about what anyone says about it. But it's also about providing safety inside of yourself. That way your inner child can come out to play that you're not holding back in fear of retaliation or someone's gonna say something. It's giving your inner child permission to come out and go wild and scream like you haven't screamed in years or maybe you never even screamed out loud like that in front of anyone. As kids, we were so uniquely ourselves. We really didn't know how to be any other way, but conditioning got in the way and we eventually started to morph ourselves. So internal child care can look like making sure my inner child feels safe in her environment. And when she throws her fits and tantrums, being there for her, calming her down and, and letting her express her feelings. When it comes to inner child play, I even look at the way I do things. Am I living my day-to-day -day as means of execution or am I living my day-to-day -day in a state of play? For example, if I go run errands or go grocery shopping, which technically we all have to do and there's just certain tasks we're all completing and doing in this modern day society, but how we do them can either give us more life or can give us another task. If I go to the grocery store and it annoys me and I'm like, ugh, I just want to get this over with, which is totally valid. Like I've definitely said that before, especially when you have so much to do during the day and you may not have a lot of time for yourself. But is there a way 
that we can shift that into a more playful experience? Can I give myself a little goal? Maybe I'm going to talk to someone new at the local grocery store I go to every week. Maybe I'm going to pick out a new food I've never tried before. Making it fun, like I'm going to pick up myself some flowers. I'm going to give myself something to look forward to when I do have to complete that task. And that also is in the essence of the playful child. Always seeing the curiosity of everything, asking and wanting to know. I think we continue to feed our inner child by making play a conscious priority in our lives. It's not time wasted or us not doing anything. It's an intentional practice that allow us to tap into our imagination, aka our limitless potential. I think it's all about pivoting from what's familiar and what we've always done to opening up to what we could be if we allow it. We could be living in the same reality, but how we live it can determine one reality to the next. When we make time for the child us, we are making an effort to protect a sacred part of our existence. Our imagination is easily one of the most powerful tools we have and can utilize. To tap into uncensored joy is to tap into all the memories and emotions and everything we experienced growing up. I think for me, I was a pretty physically active child. I went through a lot of phases growing up. Uh, I've been a good 15 people just in this lifetime. But across the board, I can always say like sports or just overall movement. You know, I grew up doing gymnastics, dance, soccer. I remember even just running over to my neighbor's house and we would run around all day just inventing games as we go. And I genuinely think as a kid, I just like to roll around in the mud. And I mean, not much has changed since then. But honestly, just leave me outside and I'm good. I'm good out here with the trees. We really close, we good. Connecting to those memories serve as a great reminder to just walk outside barefoot and put my hands and feet in the soil. Why I enjoy watching old home videos and going through boxes of old photos is that it's such a great reference point, a space to learn about who you've always been, who you were before life got its hands on you. Looking back can give us clues and great insight. The things that have always been natural to you. You know, how close is the gap between who you truly are and who you've become over time? If I always loved doing this one thing as a kid, what's stopping me now? The child in us never dies. They are always there. Something valuable I learned as a child was that I had a large amount of energy and emotions to exert. That girl who could not hide any expression on her face or what she was feeling and thinking. When I was in a good mood, I became the literal sun. But when I was in a bad mood, you best believe I would bring the storm. And I had no idea how to wield the power of thought, energy, and emotion at the time. But what it taught me was that it was incredibly important to manage my energy well, 
to put it in places that could help me grow. And knowing that about myself, I can work with myself. When I'm having these tantrums and fits, you learn to have compassion for these parts of you and even laugh at times when you see what part of you is creating this behavior. What's always been so interesting to me is that people assume being connected to your inner child means being naive and evading all responsibility. Like being incredibly joyful meant that life hasn't happened to you yet and just wait. There's this one story I have. Oh my God, this was so long ago. I swear it feels like lifetimes ago. Um, that version of me, love her, but don't know her. It was back in like my EDM girl era where I used to go to so many shows, festival, raves. And this was back when EDM was like at its peak. It was heavily mainstream. And I don't remember if Zed was playing or I don't remember who it was or what concert I was at, but it was definitely one of my last shows because I could feel myself transitioning into a new chapter of my life. So I could feel the ending of this one. So I was there, you know, didn't even really want to drink, take anything. I was super sober and just there to dance and like feel the energy. That's the one thing like I miss about it is that the energy there was just so alive. Um, so after the show ended, I was walking out arms linked with my friend and I was laughing so hard and screaming and just talking about just what a great show it was and how happy I was to be alive. And I remember someone behind me, um, kind of said in a, like a low tone, like muttered voice, kind of, they seemed maybe not in the best mood and they were like, they said it really loud too. They were like, it sounds like it's someone's first time. And I remember turning around and uh, saying something along the lines of like, it's probably like my 20th time, but like go off, live your life, girl, do you? Um, and I just started laughing and continuing to walk with my friend. But what was so great about that story is that it presents this question of, what if we got to experience things for the first time again and again? That we were that rawly present, that we could experience something that others think we are enjoying for the first time. It's the first time every time. If we can deepen our experience over time and hit a new level of intimacy with the world around us, and I'm not saying life doesn't happen and things can't harden us. I'm very aware that life be life in at all times, even on a good day, like shit really be happening sometimes. But what I'm saying is that our own bravery to continue to live in that starry-eyed wonder, that child state of being is our choice. And I wanna say that staying in touch with your inner child is one of the wisest things you can do, keeping their spirit alive. If anything, let this be a note to checking with the child you, how is she doing, what is she up to? What's going on with her right now? What's so hilarious is as kids, when I tell you this is one of the greatest testaments 
that you don't need anything to have fun, to imagine, to make magic. Your imagination made everything around you a game. Nothing needs to happen for you to tap in. Society has put saddles on our imagination to very bleak realities, and we have allowed ourselves to be tamed in this way. The more we see that fun is medicine, the more we see fun as medicine, the more we will make space for it in our lives. Yes, we're busy. Yes, we're doing this and that and have to accomplish this, but a lot of it can be done in fun. Laughing is literally a technique for letting go. It helps you release weight and any stagnant energy residing in the body. So even when we get, you know, creatively frustrated, maybe we need to ask ourselves, when's the last time I let myself play? When's the last time I let myself freely express in my art without thinking of an outcome. And that moves us into creative frustration. But before we do that, I am gonna take a big, deep belly breath and get some tea. Gotta sip my tea, okay? It's gonna get cold over here because you know I be talking. You know I can, <laughs> you know I can talk longer than this. But yeah, just resting in your body. And remind yourself of your surroundings. What are you looking at? What do you feel? What do you hear? and just asking yourself to return back to the present moment. Hmm. I love ginger tea so much, guys. I'll easily drink this every day. Okay, so first of all, if you are a creative, I feel you, I see you, and honestly, I still really believe that we are all wildly creative. I just think as humans, we tend to mentally box ourselves in of what we can and what we can't do. Like, if you do this and you try this, you can only do that. Or if I'm a painter, I can't be a dancer. Like, it's, it's almost as if being creative, if being creative doesn't look like a cookie-cutter idea of what creative means, then that means we're not it. I really think we've just picked up so many limitations and we have to also realize that we don't have to abide by them. Like, have you ever just sat there with some of your limiting thoughts and beliefs and you're just like, you know what? I like do not have to 
abide by this. This is just not my truth. This is not my reality. This is not how I actually feel. This might have come from somewhere, but I genuinely don't believe this. And I want to be a creative that can create on multitudes of different things, can express through art, dance, writing, any of it, any of it. So a really good example would be singing. Oh my God. When I tell y'all, so many of us love to sing. You, this is either you or maybe you know someone. We are literally shy about singing in front of others because we believe we have to be good at it. Or we picture this like famous singer on stage. Singing is such a beautiful and healing practice that we can partake in. And I feel like we rob ourselves of that joy because of our perceptions. So baby, if this is you, you better go outside and sing, okay? I better go take a walk and find you singing somewhere because we deserve that enjoyment. We, we deserve to feel so good in our bodies and just belt out a song, make a song up. It really doesn't matter if you're like, oh, I can't think of one. But that is such a simple pleasure that I feel like we deny ourselves of due to how we think singing needs to sound. And another thing about when it comes to creative frustration is that, honey, we love a good planner. We love you. Whether you are the planner friend, whether you have a planner friend, shout out to you because we all need one. And we aren't wrong for wanting to, you know, plan days, weeks, years. It's, it's a really great thing to organize your life in that way. But what I'm asking is, can we surrender our plan for the greater plan? I think what helps me when everything is going every which way is just practicing being fluid with change, letting those reroutes inspire me to make more art along the way. I also have to ask myself, is this creative frustration coming from me or is it external pressure? As a creative, do you feel like you need to produce 24 seven? This idea that we always have to be sharing and having some sort of revelation and opinion on absolutely everything or just the idea that everything has to be perfectly curated. Where is this creative frustration coming from? Is it something that was created by you or is it something you're reacting to? Even with, you know, reviewing my own deadlines and guidelines to what I'm creating, now I have to remind myself that we were not built to produce 24-7. I see how industries and unhealthy systems can milk artists until they're dry and burnt out. So I have to sit back and ask, okay, well, what does this creative life mean for me beyond outcomes? What if there was no such thing as writer's block? Only just time to allow yourself to be inspired. Only new ceilings to break through within yourself. That it's a time of rest, reading, absorbing. And during that time, it doesn't mean you can't write. But maybe even writing about feeling like you're not able to write, you know, that could inspire your next piece. Creativity is everywhere. 
if you choose to see it that way. I think it's essential to look at frustrating situations and creative frustrating situations and ask, is there a gem in here for me? What can I learn from this? Is there anything blocking me from connecting to my spirit to create what I love to create? And who knows? Maybe the message is to take a break. Some of my biggest frustrations and mistakes have inspired my greatest ideas. The art is in living. We are living art. We are walking and breathing poetry. So if I am art itself expressing itself, then my art is never away from me. Taking a one month or a one year hiatus doesn't change the fact that I am an artist. If I look at some of my favorite poems from other poets or even read some of my own work, I can see that these ideas were sparked by conversations with friends, experiences that really did happen. So I really have to live and actually be there. I can't just rush through life. It needs my presence. And that's how I'll be able to create. There will be seasons where you are in constant creation, whether it's writing, acting, dancing, painting. There will be seasons where you might need to be in a more still and reflective state. I think the more we surrender to the season, we can soak up all of what's needed to be learned during that time, rather than trying to force ourselves into another season. We are always being prepared for the next season of our life. And I know it's not always easy to listen to the season we're in because I know we probably rather be in summer than winter sometimes. We're like, look, no, this winter does not work out for me. <laughs> Take me back to summer or spring or something. But I think the more we can practice being in alignment with greater energies and greater seasonal changes, the more we are actually helping ourselves and actually nourishing ourselves along the way. And seasons don't actually just happen with like our career or something that we're working on. Seasons also happen with like relationships, friendships. And friendships is actually something we're getting right into. When I look back on the friendships that I had, I noticed that they mirrored my own growth at the time. And as I grew onto the next season and chapters of my life, I realized that I kind of had to be mature enough to let some friendships go. And I had to honor that they really weren't supposed to be there forever. They were only supposed to be there for a time. And even when I look at a lot of friendships that I have now, I think they reflect the healthy relationship I have with myself today. You know, me today is years in the making. I think we all desire at some level to have fulfilling and abundant friendships. You know, just feeling that love and support that can make you feel like you can do anything in this life. What I observed about my past friendships was that 
I don't think I was really in the space to receive the friendships I was seeking. I couldn't really hold space back then. I mean, 18 to 20 year old me had no idea what it was to even create an emotional safe space for others. And it's important that we forgive ourselves for the friendships we attracted when we really didn't know any better. I had to be honest with myself and ask if I've really leveled up the way I show up and have I been a good friend to myself? And if the answer is no, that doesn't mean we aren't deserving of loving relationships. We do. I'm just saying for us to be able to sustain them over time, I believe healthy systems must be in place. I realize so much of how we show up in friendships is due to how we've been raised and the friendships we've had in the past. We have to be willing to work with our wounds, our habits, our patterned thoughts, so that we can show up more honestly and pour into the bonds that we want to see flourish. And this kind of self-accountability and self-responsibility is no easy task. I don't know about y'all, but the friendships I had in high school and early college, I observed a good amount of things and took some notes. And one note was that something that my past relationships didn't have was a safe space between us, a space where we could be totally naked with no judgment. And that's why, in a sense, if you think about it, when there isn't a safe space present, then conflict can be devastating because there are no grounds where we can actually come to each other and be transparent without the other person being on guard or feeling like they're being accused of something. Something I used to hear a lot, and I know I've even said it in the past, was that all I want is no drama. I'm not here for any drama. I want no drama in my relationships. Which in one sense, I understand what people mean. Um, but what I've concluded about that statement was that what we're really saying is that we don't have the emotional and nervous system regulation to move through difficult situations. A lot of conflict is done in an unconscious state. If us or the other person don't have the tools to navigate through them, then a lot of that will be projecting and it will be an overall negative experience. Even my past relationships, my past friendships, didn't have the tools and the emotional nervous system regulation to navigate through conflict. I was safe to an extent. And when I say to an extent, that means I'm still kind of on guard. Conflict wasn't ever something to run away from. It was just that there wasn't a space provided for us to express in a healthy and successful manner. What's so crucial in friendships and overall relationships is knowing who you are in conflict. Conflict has always been this kind of scary thing, that monster under the bed no one wants to talk about or no one wants to be the disruptive one. Everybody wants to quote unquote keep the peace. But see, in any relationship, at some point, we will meet some sort of conflict. That doesn't mean conflict is turbulent. Not every disagreement has to be an argument. And conflict doesn't mean our nervous system is disrupted. 
So hear me out here. Hear me out. Conflict is actually so healthy and it is here to deepen our connection with someone. It creates space for transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. The issue with conflict is not conflict, but how we handle conflict. Conflict is so good for us. It's a, it's a space where we can both be heard. It's just communicating what's working for us and what's not working for us. It can create greater understanding in the relationship. Friendships that can engage on this level have more range, more complexity, and more depth to them. You know when you feel loved just for being who you are? It means you can go to that person about anything and you know you will be received and there will be a solution presented. They don't just love the positive or shiny aspects of you. They're here for all of it. What helps me navigate these situations of like conflict or just having any kind of tough conversations, I always think of this Neville Goddard quote where he says, a change of feeling is a change of destiny. So whenever I'm meeting um, a habit or a conversation that normally I would not want to have, I always tell myself, a change of feeling is a change of destiny. A change of feeling is a change of destiny. A change of feeling is a change of destiny. When I change how I feel towards these things, I change my life in those moments. When I'm meeting the same situations on a daily, I am in charge of how I feel and how I react. My choices start to change with how I approach them. If I welcome transparent conversations with others and I see them as a positive experience, I start to shift my inner chemistry. So it's a great way to ask yourselves, like, are we willing to go there if we want more fulfilling friendships? Relationships are based so much more than the surface. Are we willing to do the deep inner work to deepen our connection with others? So asking ourselves like, okay, so who do I turn into when conflict arises? Am I the one who shuts down immediately when there's tension? Am I the person who's ready to fight and is yelling? Am I the one that cries and overwhelm? Or maybe I run away from conflict and avoid any kind of emotional responsibility and accountability. To know yourself in the midst of conflict is to know a very important part of you. And something that you can really utilize and understand for you to have long-standing friendships. These aren't things to avoid, but to integrate. And when we say that we only want friendships for our betterment, betterment doesn't just mean friendships and friends telling us what we want to hear. For our betterment means all of it. Navigating conflict is such an essential part of growing deeper friendships. We really have to know who we are in these pivotal moments. Conflict is really a big blessing in disguise. If we can learn to use it as something to evaluate you and those around you. And the more we practice, the better we get. 
the more comfortable we get having these conversations, the safer the relationship feels, the easier it can be to have these kind of conversations. When you're learning these things, you really have to introduce them to friendships that can incorporate them because you can't always, I wouldn't say always, you really can't force anyone to meet you where you're at. What I realize is that when people aren't used to that direct communication, and a lot of us, we weren't really taught how to directly communicate in that way. So direct communication can sometimes feel like an attack. Feedback can feel like an attack. If an emotional safe space hasn't been provided between the two, it's exhausting to always be on defense all the time. And most of the time, conflict is seen as like this space where emotions are out of control, we associate it with dysfunction, breaking the friendship up, and we can be very scared of the reactions of others. So when that fear comes up, it really means sometimes maybe the space isn't safe enough for me to be honest and transparent. And then we have to ask, well, is it safe enough inside for me? And something that I even picked up in relationships in the past was that not only did I not have that safe space for me or for others, is that I wasn't always trusting my intuition. I was constantly overextending my energy and ignoring any gut feelings of like, "Mm, I'm not entirely sure this person is really my friend, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I was trying to be more of a friend to them than myself. And at the end of the day, ignoring your intuition isn't serving anyone. We can see those little ways that we kind of hide in friendships the places where we aren't willing to really stand up and speak up just yet. Having healthy friendships sounds great until you got to work through all that sticky stuff. I think nurturing anything over a period of time has its challenges and it presents you with this choice. Do we want to help each other wake up every day? Right? Really wake up in the present moment or Do we want to go to sleep into our old patterns? Pema Chodron talks about how fear is a natural reaction to moving towards the truth. And I think that's so true in the fact that our relationships are really designed to deepen over time if we are committed to our freedom. We're actually meant to fall deeper in love with each other over time if We are down to do the inner work together. What I was able to observe that even when I started to have those healthier friendships, my old wounded self was kind of alarmed. I was like, "Um, these friends just want to be around me for me and like love me (laughs) for exactly who I am and aren't judging my existence. It's almost like I couldn't believe it and that I couldn't believe that I was also deserving of it. I had moments where I was like, do all my friends secretly hate me? Am I doing enough as a friend? Like, are you good? Are you happy? What can I do? I need them to make sure they know I love them. And a lot of that was just my insecurities from the past and overcompensating for not feeling enough to just receive. And I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, 
there are times where you do need to evaluate the natural flow of giving and receiving within a friendship and asking ourselves, do I reciprocate what I require? Am I the friend I desire? So even just making a list of all the qualities you're looking for in a friend or a friendship, and then right next to that list, asking yourself if you provide that as a friend. Self-evaluation is super key to keeping a healthy flow in friendships. It's like self-evaluation, communicating your boundaries and needs, and limiting assumptions. That's another one. Like people should just know whatever we're feeling and we're thinking. I think asking more and assuming less has really helped just serve me in such a way. Asking more and assuming less. Like something I learned in my friendships is asking permission, asking if they have space for something that I'm going through. These were all skills I was really new to. You know, if your friend calls you crying, we automatically think like, oh my God, I want to help them. Let me give them some advice. But sometimes maybe they just want you to listen or they just want you to sit on the phone with them. Normalizing asking people permission and normalizing asking people for what they need. I think in this area, we might make a lot of mistakes and not always get it right. But it's more about continuing to make an effort to understand and support the people that we love. And that's not always, you know, an an easy thing or there's not always a right way to show up sometimes. We show up as best as we can. Sometimes we show up in a way that doesn't make the other person feel seen or comforted. And we just want to let that person know that it's okay to express that and that we can handle the feedback. Not only can we handle the feedback, but we welcome the feedback. What's cool too is that once you start really understanding more of who you are and you realize what kind of friend you are and how you want to show up. Like for me, I realize I'm just that friend that needs space. I don't really like talking every day and this whole how often we talk determines how close we are doesn't really work for me. So I more so look at depth and presence. I enjoy check-ins. I enjoy giving the bond some breath. I need lots of time to process and even just to be with myself. What I did realize, and I've gotten a lot better at it, was that when I'm going through something, I'm the type to completely disappear and come back when I'm like, okay, I'm good. I've gotten better at leaning on others and allowing others to see me in different states and helping me, which wasn't a thing before. But knowing that, a lot of my friendships now are very free-flowing in a sense where there's a lot of understanding. If you can, you will. Um, There's this notion that taking care of yourself comes first. If something doesn't work for us, let's talk. I realized I had to relinquish a lot of the societal mental expectations of what a friendship was supposed to look like. So when I did that, I kind of let the friendship take a form of its own. When I wasn't pushing and expecting it to be anything, it was able to grow into something. And I want a lot of my friendships just to be about conscious creation and freedom. 
I also had to ask myself if I had the capacity for these kind of conversations. For example, this really good friend of mine was going through something, you know, some personal matters, and whenever she needs to talk, she would ask if I have space. And for the majority of the time, you know, I usually said yes. I would check in with myself, see how I'm feeling, see how I'm doing. But there were these like two or three times where I wasn't able to. I didn't have the space. I didn't have the capacity at the moment. And the past me would have spiraled into guilt with my people-pleasing savior complex tendencies to say, I love you, but I don't have the emotional space for it right now and then to be received in such a loving way and so receptive is touching others teach you just by loving you the new me was clearly able to express in honesty and my friend was able to talk to another friend instead we think if we say no that they will secretly resent us but in healthy relationships, these conversations are always had. I just think it's beautiful to witness your own growth as a person. And as you've grown, you've built this like little tribe of love to reflect that. I feel like there should be poems and albums about friends and how they can really help you heal so many parts of yourself just by being themselves, just by loving all of you and accepting all of you. They can really be our soulmates in this lifetime. And even from our past lives, they can really hold your hand through so much. You really learn a lot just being in relation to others. You can see why things weren't lining up the way they were in the past. Maybe 17-year-old version of you is not ready to talk about holding space. And I've learned from every single person that have come, has gone out of my life. They've taught me a lot about me and they taught me what I needed to see. They showed me. They've taught me a lot about me and they showed me what I needed to see. When I see my friends now, I see multiple layers of beauty. I feel like I have friends that suit different things. Like I know our society pushes this whole, you gotta have one best friend, BFFs. I don't know, that kind of pushes this expectation and narrative that limits our range of connection and that we can find different kinds of love in anyone we meet. And we can miss out on that by thinking we are lacking by not having that one best friend or whatever structure was created that we were told we needed to fit. Not every friend is for every single thing and not every friend is meant to stay for every season of our life. And that kind of moves us into the flowers of rejection and what that can teach us. All right, this is our last big breath, guys. Make it a good one. To be honest, I might need one more. As someone who in the past has experienced a lot of rejection, 
I don't really identify with it anymore. Rejection isn't really this ideal I subscribe to. What I've come to learn is that it was never rejection that I was experiencing. It was always the universe being relentlessly intentional and specific with what was for me and what was not for me. It was my own inability to listen. Honey, you know I love a good fight, okay? I remember I was like, well, why? Why can't I? This is what I envision. This is what I want. Why can't I have it? The more I said why, it was just the part of me that didn't really understand what was taking place. I had to surrender to trust that this wasn't for me at this exact time. And even when it was painful, it was really good for me to feel those feelings, you know, to bawl my eyes out as much as I needed to. I think it's important to just be there for ourselves when we do feel unloved and rejected. Maybe the stories that we've believed for so long that we're unlovable. The only ones that can really reject us is us. And when it comes to rejection, I find myself asking, how clear can I get in this redirection of my life? The more I'm able to listen for the specific details, the more I can be in flow of what is meant for me. I'm no longer fighting, I'm listening. And as you move along your journey, you'll see, okay, now I see why that thing wasn't supposed to work out. Now I see why that friendship, career opportunity, or event wasn't meant for me. I hear you. When you grow over time, you start to see the universe say, that's why that wasn't for you. You hear the, that's why I placed you over here and not over there. That's why I protected you during that time. The universe knows what happens behind closed doors and things have a funny way of working out. And when you're in tune with that language, you see how the truth is revealed over time. Protection is real. And it's so funny that like, Every place I've begged to be in, every relationship I wanted to last, the universe has come full circle and shown me why the answer was no. It literally sat me down and said, see, I love you too much and I would never let you stray. I would never let you stay. I just had to be patient trust, and even be obedient to spirit even when it hurt my feelings. Rejection can hurt and the hurt is valid. Even just rejecting ourselves for so long, rejecting our natural selves, abandoning ourselves in the process of it can hurt. You know, just an incredible amount of forgiveness for ourselves and believing that 
that rejection had anything to do with ourselves or our worth. Rejection can especially hurt when we've intertwined it with our story and made it a part of who we are. And I just want to let us know that we can step into a new story. What if I told you that you were never rejected a day in your life? That you could never be rejected from what you truly deserve and for what the divine has planned for you? What if I told you the whole time you were being saved? You just couldn't see it at the moment. That what happened was actually you being saved for something greater. And sometimes that no is a not right now. It doesn't always mean push harder, but go deeper into your love and why you do what you do. Sometimes I even ask about the intentions of why I want what I want. Why do I want these things that I do? Why in the past did I want to be in these places or with these people that didn't want or value me? And why do I want what I want now? Is it from the depths of our heart? Or are we compensating for the wounds that we're feeling inside? There's this analogy that I call sunlight versus artificial light. So you have two rooms. One room, you're standing by the window and you're feeling the sun hit your skin. And this feeling takes you back to the most cherished memories of love. The sun just nourishes every part of you. The other room, no windows, you got lamps, the lights are on, you know, just normal, it's cool. Both of these rooms are lit up with light. Just two different kinds of light. It's kind of like when you, did y'all grow up with those little artificial fruits in the bowls on the table? <laughs> it's like if you were to take one of those and you try to take a bite out of it and you're like, ew, this was just meant for display. Um, that was not meant for anything other than display. And see, sometimes the universe be protecting you from artificial experiences that just look good on display, pure illusion. But see, when you align when you align yourself, being your greatest self in all areas of your life, you attract those sunlight experiences that you're like, oh my God, my soul is on fire. Thank you for showing me the truth of what I really want and need in my life. The thing about artificial light and sunlight is that you can feel the difference. And we also have to present ourselves with the question of, Are we in our moth era or our butterfly era? Are we unconsciously chasing the light of the artificial that we see with the naked eye? Or are we the butterfly? The butterfly who already knows that she is enough. The butterfly who has already arrived and is attracting the sunlight experiences to her doorstep. I used to make rejections so much more about others and how others did this to me and did that. And, and I realized that if I can take every experience 
and use it as a mirror for myself, right? Everything is me. It is just showing me more of me. I can use rejection as my redemption. It is my resurrection of the deep love I have for myself and how deeply loved I am by everything around me. It is the constant reminder that what is intended for me will always be. And if we are living from an intentional space, a present space, then we will always arrive in our destined place. We just have to surrender to how that happens. So that wraps everything up. You got a taste of just some of those topics and like what it means to engage in them. So to close out our talk, the journal prompt or just thought piece to take for the week is what is something you feel like you rejected about yourself as a child? And how can you bring it to center stage in your life? How can you come to terms with it? Even if it's goofy or embarrassing, how can you bring that into your life this week? And yeah, allow yourself to have some fun with your imagination. Take yourself on a journey. Imagine going into your favorite flower field or just taking a walk. Our minds, of course, as compulsive and impulsive our minds can be, if we use them to serve us, they can do some pretty phenomenal things. So, yeah. My inner child is sending love to your inner child in a big hug. Lots of big hugs. <laughs> and I'll see you guys next time.